The first reading, when Isaiah talks about the vineyard, I always think of the life of grace in our hearts. But I think it's important for us to meditate upon the life of grace because it reminds us of the perfection which we must aspire to. It reminds us where we must go, how we must live. And the life of grace begins for us in baptism. In baptism, we receive what the spiritual writers call the seed of glory. We receive all that we need to reach the kingdom of heaven. So we receive the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. We receive the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. And we receive the infused virtues of prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. And what is supposed to happen is this divine life, this life of grace which we receive within us in baptism, we're supposed to nourish it and allow it to grow so that it may flourish and ultimately flower forth and bear the fruit of eternal life. So the life of grace, which we now live on this earth, is actually supposed to be a prelude to eternal life in heaven. And this life of grace has stages. It's just like in the natural order. We have various stages in our life. We have childhood, we have adolescence, and we have adulthood. And the life of grace usually is divided up into three stages. You have the stages of those who are beginners, those who are proficient, and those who are perfect. The first stage has certain signs. All the stages have certain signs with them. But in the first stage, it's called the purgative way, our prayer tends to be vocal and meditative. We meditate upon the mysteries of the rosary. We meditate upon sacred scripture. We have the virtues, but they're not really deep. They have not been purified. They're not profound. But they're there, but they need work. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, which we receive at baptism, tend not to manifest themselves very much because the purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to perfect the virtues by holy inspirations. And when we first begin in the spiritual life, we're not docile to God. We either A, don't recognize his inspirations, or B, we tend not to listen to them. And so the gifts of the Holy Spirit are unable to manifest themselves. And our principal duty in the first stage of the spiritual life is to establish a life of prayer, to really engage into meditative mental prayer, and also to root out the sin in our life, to purge ourselves of sin through penance, through the sacrament of confession, frequent communion, and the various other spiritual practices. And you always know you're about to leave the first stage of the spiritual life because what begins to happen is you have what is called the prayer of quiet contemplation, or also sometimes shorthand called the prayer of simplicity. It is when, instead of meditating upon God, the soul feels drawn by God to simply gaze upon him quiet reflection and contemplation. St. John Vianney describes this when he talks about a soul who used to come to his church to pray before the Blessed Sacrament. And John Vianney asked the soul what the soul did, and the soul says, I look at him and he looks at me, just in this quiet contemplation. After the beginning stages of the spiritual life, we enter into the threshold of the mystical life. It's the, this proficient stage, or called the, way, the illuminative way. And now prayer becomes elevated. We have what are called acts of infused contemplation. And what happens in infused contemplation is the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are becoming more active, they enlighten our intellects through the gifts of wisdom and understanding. And so when we are praying and reflecting, our minds are lifted up so that we may penetrate the richness, the beauty, and the depths of the mystery of God. And we begin to experience God's presence among us in a very profound way. We begin to taste and to see 
that the Lord is good, the virtues are now gaining some profundity to them. They're gaining some depth. They're beginning to be purified. Our love for God is getting stronger. Our humility is becoming a little more sublime. And usually the soul starts to manifest the evangelical counsels of spiritual poverty, spiritual chastity, and spiritual obedience. The gifts of the Holy Spirit begin to manifest themselves, especially the gifts of fear of the Lord and the gifts of piety, because the soul is learning to recognize the inspirations of God. It is learning to be docile to the divine movements of God, and it's allowing itself at times to be moved by God, by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, we come to the full perfection of the spiritual life, which is called the unitive way. This is what most of the saints reach. And in this stage, prayer is elevated even higher. Instead of sort of sporadic acts of infused contemplation, the soul is almost continually being drawn into the mystery of God. The soul deeply penetrates into the divine attributes, the mysteries of God. It feels this continual and constant union with God. It is being transformed into the spouse of God, this mystical union. The virtues now become eminent and heroic. The soul is acting sort of in a superhuman way. When you see St. John Vianney sitting in the confessional for 14 hours every day, that is heroic virtue. It is a heroic act of pastoral charity. Trust me, I, I, there's no way I can do that. The gifts of the Holy Spirit now become very, very active in the life of the soul. The soul has purified itself so much of its sin and so much of its own ego and personality that it begins to act in a divine way. The soul loses its identity and takes on the identity of Christ. Like Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And because Christ is now dominating the hearts of this soul through love, through union, the soul acts in a supernatural and divine way. And all of the manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit appear just as you see in the lives of the saints. At this point, the soul is essentially ready for the kingdom of heaven. It has reached spiritual perfection. If it dies, it immediately flies straight to the glory of God and the beatific vision. Such is the perfection which all of us are called to. Such is the perfection as lofty and as marvelous as it may be that we should pursue. And such is the perfection which we should be inspired to give our lives for.